0: Uh, hi everyone, welcome to the India Independent Films podcast where we talk about films and film writing. Uh, I am Pankaj Sasteva. I write on my blog Dichotomy of Irony and also contribute articles on the India Independent Films website. Uh, i have with me Rahul Desai, critic for the Film Companion and writer for many other publications. Those who are listening for the first time, uh, you know, we have a podcast every three, four weeks where we talk about films and uh, about films in general with a little bit of focus on film writing aspect. So uh, today we have, again, like three, four topics to cover. Uh, but before I do that,
1: Kahul, how have the last
0: few weeks been?
1: Uh, first, First of all, Happy New Year to everyone. I think it's our first podcast of 2023, both of you and me, basically um um yeah the last um, the last month basically has been very interesting very adventurous um i i i attended a film festival in the north of norway um in Tromsø, which was i think one of the uh, most memorable experiences i've had because when we think when we imagine attending film festivals you don't imagine attending one like north of the arctic circle so for me that was a very um Very surprising, but very nice little addition to my um, film reviewing life. Um, I, I, I mean, the festival itself was like six days long. I spent a little more time in Norway as I usually do. It was my first time there. Uh, I think it's one of the best film festivals I've attended. It's like it's you don't um, it's a fairy tale kind of place and and. For me, it was very difficult actually watching films there because there was so much to uh, there was so much to explore. There was so much. The town itself was beautiful, um, but I did manage to watch quite a few films. So for anyone interested in my coverage, it's on Film Companion. I did around five or six pieces uh, from the festival. I, I managed to finally watch Joyland, which was the Pakistani film that everyone been talking about. I absolutely loved it. Um, again, I wrote about it there. Um but, um, but yeah, the, um, so I basically the, for me, that travel itch as well as the film festival itch got uh, uh, <clears throat> scratched together, which was, which which is always the dream. Because normally I used to, uh, the, the couple of times that I went to Sundance, like before the pandemic was around the same time. So uh, I start to get a little restless psychologically uh, in January and that it, it worked out very well because the festival was very generous as And uh, uh, for anyone listening, obviously, I mean, it was it's really expensive for Indian journalists to travel to film festivals. So just a note about if if you're wondering how I'm attending film festivals or how I I managed to attend film festivals that nobody has heard of. um, It's basically a combination of luck and uh, obviously, like, you know, your experience as a writer because, uh, uh, for me, I randomly wrote to this uh, couple of European film festivals, I think, a couple uh, some months ago, not the big ones, not Berlin, not Cannes, because I know you uh, there, it's either your publications paying for you or you have to go on your own penny. Um, I, I wrote to a couple of um, uh, smaller film festivals and ones in very interesting locations. And this was the one that replied. And i had heard about this film festival on my travels years ago. So I was always very curious about it. And this was as we know, the first post-pandemic um, sort of edition, so it was first in-person edition after three years. Um, so they um, they were basically willing. Apparently, the first time in their 33-year history that they had an Indian journalist even interested in covering the festival, so they were more than happy. Uh, it was a cold email basically, and they actually replied. And uh, they wrote to the they wrote to the Indian embassy, uh, wondering if they could help fund my trip and both of them shared their costs the film festival and the embassy so that's how I mean that's the kind of things you need to have uh sort of work in your favor uh to be able to have these kind of adventures and experiences as a film writer so um yeah that pretty much defined my January and you know I'm, I'm back and refreshed and Back in the groove again, uh, reviewing Hindi films. I I missed Patan when I was there. It it so happened that it happened when uh, Patan was releasing, but I did come back and write about it.
0: How cold was it
1: there? <laughs> it was. Uh, I'm guessing. I'm guessing you must be used to it because it was. Uh, I mean, it was regularly minus five to minus ten. And uh, but apparently, it was warmer there this year than than most other years because of climate change and all. And the locals were not very happy. Uh, they were like the snow is actually melting instead of actually forming, and uh, I saw it because in the days in the day it was like uh, one or two degrees, which was basically Delhi temperatures this this year. Uh, but uh, in the nights, of course, it went down to like below freezing. And I'm sort of a I like the cold, uh, unlike many Indians or unlike many Bombayites as well, um, because we don't have winters here. So I go seeking winters around the world, and I love traveling in the winters because. Um, because a place tends to have a very different perception on your mind when you travel there in the winter, especially in Europe, because we've grown up reading about it, seeing it in movies, uh, the snow, uh, and you know the, the 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 sort of people, the the architecture. It, it all it all sort of uh gets revealed to your mind in a in a very different way when you're traveling in in january or february or in december for that matter during christmas and it's lovely it, it, every town feels like a winter wonderland and and it's the kind of thing that sustains your childhood imaginations of what you thought europe would look like and i love traveling in the winters because first of all lesser tourists um mm. emptier places uh, cheaper rates obviously and uh and it's just so cinematic. It's, it's mm-hmm. so different from traveling in the summers or in the spring. Um, and I, I'll always make an effort to travel in January and February, no matter how cold. Because if I've gone north of the Arctic Circle in January, then I can go anywhere on this earth right now, except probably Antarctica or something. But uh, but yeah, I was very well prepared because, I, I, uh, because, because I've traveled in the cold before I knew uh, how to keep warm and it, it served me very well.
0: Yeah, and great story for sharing the uh, how you uh, got the funding for the festival. You know, it's just like what's the harm in trying? Also, you know, find something exactly. and try. And uh, if they responded, so it's so good. If they don't like, what was the harm? You at least did your effort. So. Uh, Thanks for sharing that. Okay, so let's begin with uh, some of the topics for today. Uh, First, I have a few uh, questions on, you know, the action genre.
1: Hmm.
0: So, do you like this genre? And is this genre memorable? Hmm.
1: I mean, action genre, I feel like is the most accessible film genre. Even while growing up, it was almost the first kind of films you used to watch um, you know your terminators and your die hards and your mission impossibles so uh, i guess for a lot of us that was the movies for the longest time right the action genre because first of all they do things that only can happen in the film in films and uh, at the same time you know they have these underdog heroes who are actually the essence of what Underdogs can be in cinema because it's physical. It's not psychological as such. It's you actually see most of the heroes being incapable of doing the things they are, but they still do it, and that's the beauty of action cinema. You know, they always find um, they, the 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 best action heroes are the ones who who don't look like the action heroes, and I guess that's uh, that's an idea that we've grown up with, and um, so I've always been a fan without really knowing it of action cinema. Um, but of course, the last 10 or 12 years, ever since the superhero sort of landscape changed, and ever since Marvel, DC, you know, you name it, has taken over, um, our perception of action has also changed, right? It's it's very VFX heavy. It's le- less uh, sort of old school uh, compared to earlier. It's it's more complicated. It's it's a bunch of universes sort of uh, com- uh, colliding together. Back in the day, I remember if I used to think if I used to watch one action film and if I see an action hero of another film make a cameo in it, I used to get so excited. It used to be a big deal, but now it's like par for the course. Um, And I guess most of the films we watched, like my favorite one, which was the Rocky series, uh, I think for a lot of us while growing up, um, they were all action films technically. You know, the story was of course in in support of what we used to see on screen. So the last 10 years have been a little disillusioning in that sense. Uh, I haven't been really... Able to sustain that love, that admiration for these kind of films. Uh, except for the old Mad Max Fury Road, you you don't see action cinema really embrace that kind of um, that kind of vintage, um, so, you know, sort of tone. And and be um, and I remember I, I I think just at the onset of the Marvel uh, and DC and uh, the entire superhero franchise universe, I. I um, remember watching I think Die Hard 4 was it Bruce Willis I guess in cinemas um, and being so um, getting so nostalgic while watching it I was, and I, I'm enjoying it thoroughly first of all and getting so nostalgic while watching it because I was like you know this is the this is the kind of film that I've grown up on and we are seeing lesser and lesser of it and you know I don't want to sound like the old timer who who really um, who misses the past and I'm all for you know moving forward. But action cinema really hasn't moved forward in that sense. Like it's it's really been stuck in this loop of uh, of you know visual effects and 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 absolute orgy of like a, a action on screen. And we've we've lost that coherence of action. Even the stand even the even the uh, non franchise action films uh, like I think Greyman recently uh, uh, or last year came out on Netflix there's no coherence to the kind of activity that's happening on screen either you don't know where the characters are you don't know what's happening in a frame uh, There's so much happening that you lose interest in it very fast the editing is so uh, so disorienting most of the time so so yeah it, it's been difficult i guess the last decade or so but you know that I'm, i still get excited when i see a good action film like top gun maverick for example i knew exactly what was happening in that last half an hour, even though they were in the plane cockpits and even though the planes were going at like a zillion um, miles an hour uh, and doing so many things and sort of going back and forth, I knew exactly the topography of what was happening, the geography of what was happening. And that is just classic storytelling. It's not, you know, that should be the, that should be the fundamentals of action cinema. You need to know what's happening at all times. And I guess a lot of films have lost that ability.
0: Mm, right. Right. Uh. <clears throat> so now, before I uh, f- ask for this, did you like the Dawn series by Shahrukh Khan? <clears throat> Dawn, no, Dawn I was, One no, I wasn't or Dawn a big Two? Fan
1: at all? No, not really. I mean, I I still was okay with the first one. Um. But Dawn Two was just it was I couldn't tolerate that film. First of all, Shahrukh was really hamming it. As uh, as you know, someone who knows he's Dawn and someone who knows he's Shahrukh, and that was really a bad habit. And most of it happening in Berlin, and uh, and a lot of like um, very westernized action. I felt like it was very derivative in a sense, like the entire plotting, the entire look, the tone, the action, the grey, <clears throat> the grayishness of the entire palette. I, I didn't enjoy those those films at all. Hmm.
0: Which brings me to, you know, I was just looking at um, the action directors in uh, Hindi cinema. The only person whom I found, like, consistently pop up was, like, Sham Kaushal. But otherwise, all these films have been, you know, exported action directors to from Hollywood. Uh, even, like, Pathan mm. has, like uh, you know, uh, people from coming outside. Right. Uh, are there any, like, Indian um, film action directors... That come to your mind, except him, or are there any Indian action films that you really like?
1: I mean, <clears throat> I mean the Sham kaushal thing is a good point because that's the only Indian action, at least Hindi action director I've been seeing for the longest time. Even in our Desi films. And and the fact that we see for like American names or European names or whatever, like Western names as action directors in a lot of these big budget YRF action films like War and, and Pathan now which were enjoyable on their own but it's quite obvious that they are following the spy the western spy action template you know at the same time they are enjoyable for other reasons because they are very meta and they, they don't take themselves too seriously but but the action itself and the the set pieces um the 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 design is very uh, western influenced like it's it's a yeah. bunch of uh, james bond and jason Bond and 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 you name it you know ethan and all of them put together and it's a it's sort of throwing everything on the wall uh, through the western lens and seeing what sticks um, it's it's a it's a tricky thing because you know what is indian action exactly what is mm. what is action uh, what are the kind of action we should be seeing in a country like this um, i mean you see the country itself first of all it's not really suited to to uh, action and that itself is the usp of it right like whenever action tends to happen in in a country as densely populated as absolutely crunch for space as india is or especially in the big cities um, it's always sort of um, it, it's always very different it, it, it's culturally, it looks culturally different and it, it's not supposed to happen. So there's almost a f- humorous aspect to the fact that action is actually happening in these spaces we are living in. Because how dare it? How can it even happen without like really destroying at least like a, a lakh people if it's happening within a square kilometer? And those, see, these are the kind of contradictions that very few action films are picked up on so sham kaushal has been like an action director for the longest time but he's also been doing a lot of conventional action for conventional films and mm-hmm. uh i feel like i feel like this action i'm talking about like i thought i, I thought Anurag Kashyap captured it very well in the gangs of vasepur series uh, mm-hmm. the incidental action you know where the films aren't action films so to say and the action that's happening is almost um defying any sense of uh, uh, violence happening in this country because violence happens in a very undesigned manner here it, it's never it can never look rehearsed it can never look planned uh, because it has to look chaotic in almost a very uh, sort of funny way and i think anurag kashyap sort of started it all with his kind of films and uh, i think uh, raj and dk do a very good job in their mm. in their shows you know in family man and you know even the upcoming farzi uh, which is releasing tomorrow, I think they've also, they've figured out the language of action in a country like this. And that's very important. Like, they are, they are famous for those one-shot sequences in Family Man and all. But they aren't gimmicky. Why? Because uh, because they, it, it almost feels like the camera is trying to, uh, trying to find some kind of rhythm in such an unrhythmic, environment like india where where you know locations aren't suited to action where uh, even cops who are trained in in sort of um, in you know in techniques and in violence and in in all sort of gunfire uh, they even they have a tough time sort of really pulling it off in this in this country and i think long form storytelling does a better job you know because because it's more realistic it's more um, it's more aware to its surroundings to the world around it which is india uh, and i am not saying the action has to look indian but if it's happening in a country like this it has to be a little um, all over the place and that and and it's funny to look at from the outside but what's happening is very serious and i think that that uh, dichotomy of tone uh, very few directors actually understand
0: mm-hmm. you know you bring up this very interesting point and that's what now made me think about the action hero and action hero Maybe yeah. that's why it was set up in London, you know.
1: Exactly. <laughs> uh,
0: because uh, uh, it was like uh, not suited for India. <laughs> because in India, everybody will catch hold of these two guys uh, very easily. Exactly. Precisely. Yeah. Like, so, I mean, they,
1: they wouldn't be able to cross a street here without really, forget going on a chase sequence, you know. And, and that's the thing, I guess, that we get so nostalgic about chase sequences in the 80s and 90s. Because we actually see people on the streets looking at these mm-hmm. these fools yeah. running across the city. I mean, you saw it in the old films, but yeah. and and it's very good that you mention action hero because it's the same reason why whodunits or murder mysteries cannot happen in big cities here. Why do they keep going to the mountains? Why Himalayas? Why Uttarakhand? Why uh, Manali? Why uh, all these these hill stations? Why are murder mysteries always happening there or horror films almost happening there because of the because of the lack of popular because the fact that activity can happen people can kill other people without others seeing it. You know, there is enough empty space there. There is enough, there are enough sort of uh, dark spots and blind spots there uh, for people to get away with, for criminals to get away with certain, uh, you know, with, the, with their actions. And it's the same reason, I guess, Action Hero, a lot of it was shot in London or in the UK because uh, that's where you can get away with the mm. kind of action they designed.
0: Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, like, the thing about uh, films is, like, it's e- re- relatively easier to write about how, like, like an emotional scene, how it made you feel. Is it e- easy to write on action? Because, the, you know, uh, w- it brings mainly joy and thrill. Uh, hmm. So do you find it hard to describe,
1: let's say, Mad Max Fury Road? Something um, like that. Yeah, I mean it's it's almost like like having to write about acting right itself Mm. like it's difficult it's difficult to sort of pin down what is first of all happening in the scene and what you admire or what is giving you thrill about it and you know without going technical it's really difficult to really capture the soul of action and most action sequences are parts of a bigger story and it's Unless there's something that really stands out or unless it really serves the narrative in a way or the filmmakers tend to say something, uh, you know, I, I almost find it impossible to write about action in an isolated sense, because it's a highly technical sort of, uh, because filmmakers take weeks to set it up and execute it. And um, and it's primarily to give viewers thrill, to hook the viewer, to give them a break from all the story that's happening. Um and and more often than not, they do a very good job. Even Indian directors, especially Indian directors, and they are very good at set pieces. They are very good at uh, imagining larger than life sort of set pieces. You know, we've seen it in the south time and again. And um, I guess they, uh, I guess down there, it's sort of more culturally, um, more culturally sort of rooted than the ones we do here because we are trying to ape the West and they are still sort of rooted in mythology and Indian history and a lot of other things. And they let the imagination go wild. So it's no coincidence that RRR or Baobali or all all, all the KGFs earn so much money. It's because, uh, I guess, because the masses and because viewers in general recognize that um, that this is more individualistic compared to a lot of derivative stuff with, that we see in indie films or in Hollywood films, for that matter, because it all looks the same after a while. What what makes you stand out? And I guess that, that's what makes you stand out because it's it's the imagination, it's the it's the innovation, it's the creativity, and it's that distinct sense of it only being able to happen in a country like India. And uh, and I guess that's where that suspension or disbelief comes into play. And... Uh, yeah i mean it's always difficult to write about these things because you can't really be specific right. but uh, but yeah you i mean you you learn as you go along
0: have you liked any rohit shetty film <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs> i don't think so i don't think i have liked i mean i i kind of enjoyed you know the first half of simba i kind of enjoyed parts of uh, singam uh, the first one but uh, but that was more because of the style and the swag, right? That was more because of the the hero or the character uh, or the setting itself, not the action. Like I don't think Rohit is an action director. We shouldn't fool ourselves, you know. But put, like, sure, he takes great pains to uh, sort of crash cars all the time, and that's become his signature. But anyone who thinks that is his signature is not really an action director. Action is almost a parody in his films, and it's almost a very. It's it's almost like a, a signature he wants to use to be uh, to be known as a sort of more massive director. So so yeah, no, I'm not a big fan of Rohit but you know, at the same time, I can I can see myself enjoying uh, a Rohit film in a particular kind of sense. Like I, I'd really wish that Simba was that film, but it never turned out to be like that. Mm. Uh,
0: and you know, like in terms of actors. Uh, there's this current uh, crop like Vidyut Jamwal, John Ekahim, yeah. and then Akshay Kumar. Now he's like, Akshay Kumar, I don't know where to classify now because yeah. he's tiger shark. <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> so uh, apart from that, do you have any favorite, like somebody or just somebody who does action really well, both uh, male as well as female, anybody?
1: Um not, you know, I'm not a fan of the current crop of action stars because it's quite obvious that they consider action to action films and action cinema to be a very uh, very physical sort of genre. When it's not only that, right? Like you can't just show up as a blank-faced hero and say that I had a traumatic past, that's why I'm numb and that's why I'm an action hero, I'm a brooding action hero. Like we've seen that happen time and again. Like you, it cannot justify your lack of acting skills. And I see that happen with the current generation quite a lot, saying that the action stars. Why do they need to act? Which is which is an irony. And and uh, that's why I used to like Akshay Kumar in the 90s when he was the Khiladi action star and all, because he. It was not only about the stunts he did or you know how famous he was as a how wiry he was, how flexible he was as an action star. He could also do a fair bit of character acting and comedy, you know, and that, that's when we started seeing the origin of Akshay Kumar the Comedian, which we saw in the 2000s quite a lot, you know, with starting with Hera Fairy. Um, and I always thought that there was more to Akshay Kumar than short. Sure, that was his label then, but he was capable of acting as well and being funny on screen. I don't think the current crop is capable of being as versatile as that. and uh, And that's a problem. When you have to stage your character to justify the actor's lack of talent, it's always a problem, and that's been happening for the longest time. Like you always, uh, it's you see the camera doing more things than the people in them most of the time. You know the zoom-ins and the background score mm-hmm. and the and the themes and the, and a lot of gimmickry happening around the actors and the performers, almost because the action itself isn't enough because you're trying to disguise a lot of other uh, flaws and a, a, a lot of other shortcomings. So, so I feel like that they they i feel like they like the idea of being action stars more than being action stars themselves and by looking like one that that's not the job mm. done and i feel like i see that a lot i thought an action hero did a very good satire on that you know like i thought um i thought Ayushman was terrific as as that action hero that we've known you know in hindi cinema for the last 10 years and um, you know i thought Sharuk did a very good job in Pathan because he played it like like normally sharukh playing characters like Shah Rukh khan has been a weakness for the last 10 years but it was only in Pathan that it became a strength because we associate action heroes with a certain kind of masculinity very performative uh, uh, but but sharukh brought his own very beta male sort of masculinity to it you know we, we saw glimpses of 90 sharukh and 2000 Rukh in it you know he was he wasn't afraid to get beaten up he wasn't afraid to get uh, to be goofy uh, and to be romantic and to be you know to be incapable of being an action hero to be to ask for help from Salman you know in his cameo so I thought that was a very different kind of action hero and a very gutsy kind of action hero to showcase
0: right absolutely and the whole concept of you know broken people uh yeah, like, yeah.
1: oh my god again,
0: yes. and then even uh, war like you know Ritic had this old uh, you know oh yeah like, oh, oh, oh like he was had this gray hair and all like being comfortable with who they are at that uh, point in their life and yeah mm-hmm. okay now let's move to next topic which is again related to this mm-hmm. but pathan in a sense uh, Deepika Padukone okay yeah. now were you always like did you always like her or If not, when did that switch occur? Which film made you like, okay, she's great. You started noticing her.
1: So I think as as Deepika, like as we've, you know, discussed a lot in the last few years, I think it's the steepest improvement arc I've seen in a Hindi film actor, like for the last two decades. Uh, When we saw her in Om Shanti Om, you know, introduced and all, I never really, like a lot of us never really thought that she'd become anything more than the conventional heroine. Which is basically be Amkandi of the hero and just be there in a Salman or a Shahrukh film or a, or or the side or the side note almost in most films like which are Bollywood heroines basically. Uh, but I I mean I've rarely seen the amount of the sort of desire to improve as an actor and to actually achieve it as I've seen it in Deepika. I think the film that really changed it for a lot of people was Cocktail. You know where she started showing glimpses of who she can become uh, before she started doing. Uh, more women-centric roles and really standing out in them, and really looking uh, uh, the part most of the time. And I, I felt like um, there were glimpses of that even in Finding Fanny, even though she wasn't the protagonist of that film. Uh, the Deepika we see today is very connected to the Deepika we saw then, and you know she. And even in films where she wasn't the main character, like uh, like Tamasha and like the other films where she was opposite a hero or opposite a man. Um, I think she always used to steal the scene. She's, she's She figured out a way uh, where she knew that her sheer presence, the way she uses her eyes, the way she uses her face um, can really um, affect our perception of a scene. And she she's done it so well ever since. And I was not surprised at all by how Versatile she was in a film like Pathan. She was a terrific action hero in Patan. And at the same time, she made the most corniest of lines, the most corniest of moments seem very real. And uh, of course, she was, you know, she was the standout even in Chennai Express all those years back as a comedian. But I was never a big fan of that film. So I never really saw uh, Deepika's capabilities uh, until like she started doing it in the films I associate. With, which is basically playing a contemporary woman, a contemporary um, uh, sort of uh, character in urban India. And she started doing it so well. And, you know, Piku, I consider one of the best performances in the last decade, male or female, you know. And and it's it's the same with, uh, uh, it's the same with Gerai. I know it's like very fashionable to look down on that film. But for me, her performance was head and shoulders above anything I'd seen last year. Um, and, you know, she doesn't do these showy roles. She does. She plays these very um, true-to-life sort of women and characters and manages to infuse a great amount of tension, sexuality, um, and a lot of fragility to these characters without really trying hard. And I think her body language is better than any other contemporary Hindi star right now.
0: So, do you think she was miscast in Bansali films?
1: No, no, I didn't uh, discuss at all. In fact, she was terrific in uh, she was uh, in Ramleela. You know, she she used that strength that I'm talking about so well in that film. Like her eyes were killing alone. Like in that scene where they see each other for the first time during the holy celebration is one of my favorite moments of last decade. Like for me, that scene, Ranveer's reactions, very over the top Ranveer kind of reactions in that scenes were absolutely justified because the way she looked at him made. Would make anyone melt, male, male or female. The way she sort of understood, uh, understood the cinema of the eyes of the face. Uh, I, I don't think anyone but Madhuri Dixit back in the day could have done that. And I think Deepika has really caught on to that, to those Indianisms and made it her own. And she was she was very good in Ramlila. I think that's one of the best sort of examples of how uh, you place contemporary body language in sort of a rural character or in a period character Padmavat and, you know, and even uh, the other film. And it just... And she's always been a standout in all the Kribanjali films she's done. Like, uh, it wasn't the... It wasn't Ranveer Singh for me. It was never him. It was always the kind of presence she got to... The kind of aura she got to her roles. Even though she was playing characters, we have no idea about how they used to look or behave or act then. She used to bring a kind of... Um, Sensuality to them that I can't even you know put words to, and I, I think that's how we saw her versatility really grow. Like I, uh, for me, the, there's there's not much of a difference uh, between Dipika in in these period films than there is uh, uh, between Dipika and Agaraya, and that's a strength. It's not a weakness for me. She does it very uh, subtly, um, like no other actors can.
0: She's just definitely she's a lot of. Uh, you know, a very quiet grace about her. And that's why I know you've also mentioned that she's a fantastic crier. I know we shouldn't talk about people crying, but she cries so well in films. Uh, You know, some people look very ugly, but she's so much grace when she cries. So now I'll ask you to Name your five favorite top five. How will you rank Deepika's performances that come to your mind? Again, it's a general conversation, mm. but any yeah, both? no,
1: uh, it's a it's a good way to look back on mm. her career also. Because uh, so for me, top five would be um, first would be Piku, second would be Geraya, um third I, third I feel uh, would be Ramleela, um, fourth would be fourth would be Tamasha because I thought she was phenomenal in that role I thought she was better than Arbir Kapoor in that film come to think about it Uh, and um, I guess fifth would be I don't know I guess just you know for I guess cocktail uh, cocktail itself because yeah cocktail because that's why she broke out for me at least. And, um, yeah, I guess that's why we started seeing glimpses. Even though that film was far from perfect, I thought Deepika was really the standout in that film. So, so yeah, I mean, uh, and, you know, like, even though she's done roles that should have really been talked about more, like in Chapak, she was, you know, playing an acid attack survivor mm-hmm. and playing a, such a strong woman. Um, that film was so messy for me that, you know, I could never get, around the flaws of the film to actually notice her performance and even though it was a very noble attempt I felt like that's also an example of sort of her not always hijacking the film itself and that's a good thing I know it sounds like a bad thing but it's a good thing because Alia can hijack a film you know because she has that sort of um she almost has that star power in her to sort of just hijack a moment and uh and be performative enough to like take a film out of what it's trying to say but uh I feel like Dipika always goes hand in hand with the film she does, and I think that's a very good thing, and that's a difference between Alia and her as well. Because you know, last year one of the things I really uh, struggled with was to decide whether Deepika was better in Geraya or Alia in uh, uh, or mm-hmm. Alia in the in Gangubai. And you know, Alia's was obviously more sort of showy and performative sort of thing, and she was terrific at it. I don't think any other actor could have done it. But Deepika for me like won my heart with you know the way she sort of performed a character we see almost every day and uh, we've heard about and we've talked to and you know and for me I'd still I'd still be very like conflicted about that like because there's two different kinds different schools of acting Uh, one's a very Bollywood acting one's a very sort of contemporary almost Western lens of acting but uh, for me Deepika's uh, I don't think anyone else could have done that role.
0: You know, I had a question already, but you mentioned it. How do you think about uh, not her performance, but even as a film, Finding Fanny?
1: <laughs> I, I'm a, I really like that film. Like, I remember um, enjoying it very much. First of all, I, I I love quirky films. I love films that, like, showcase Goa in a very different sense. And I thought the film was very very obvious about it, its goofiness and its over-the-top sort of uh, look. I love the music in that film. I thought Deepika was excellent in that small role of hers. Uh, she was, she had so much, um, there was so much tension between her and sort of Arjun Kapoor, and you don't often say that, but uh, it, it just happened. And and yeah, I'm, I I really liked that film. I, I thought, uh, I keep visiting scenes from it uh, every now and then. I enjoyed P- Pankaj Kapoor so much in that film. And Dimple Carpadia, the characters, you know, it's a very sort of almost like a very goofy French film re- reimagined in, you know, um, Portuguese India, which is basically Goa. And it had a very European aesthetic, which I very much enjoyed. And um, it was really over the top. And yeah, I'm a big fan of the film.
0: Got it. And then uh, was she the better performer in Tamasha?
1: I think, uh, you know, now I keep watching Tamasha all the time as nobody may know. But, uh, mm. but yeah, no, I think she, so. so basically it's, it's almost unfair to compare the, you know, the the man and the woman in that film because obviously very different sort of arcs. But, uh, and Deepika seemingly plays that woman who's there to support, to sort of get the man child back. Onto his, you know, sort of horse, and to sort of uh, show him the light. Uh, she is the one. Her character, Tara, is the one who changes the way way thinks and imagines himself. She she brings about love, brings about the change. We've seen that done so many times, not only in Imtiaz Ali films, in many other films, where the man needs a woman to sort of come of age. But I think it wasn't a bad thing in Tamasha. I think it was very specific because of how, because of what Dipika brought to that role, and I, I thought. I mean when we talk about her being a terrific crier in that song it's just it's it's incredible like it's uh, her reactions to Ranbir in the scene um, where she's trying to understand him and trying to feel and she's sympathetic towards him but also trying to express her sort of love for him is terrific like I, I she was she was about to go the manic pixie way in that film where she decides that she doesn't want to be with this man who she thought was another man, but then she almost becomes mature about it, which is very. She is the bigger one in that relationship, and it's it's very rare to see an arc go that way. You know, it's it's always uh, it's always normal to see the arc go the other way, where the man is heartbroken and he decides to he decides to basically rebel against the woman and show her that he can be a different man. But here she shows. She shows humanity and sensitivity and tenderness towards him, which starts with that song. And she is basically says, it was my mistake for you know sort of triggering this yeah. thing with you. And she probably realizes at that point that he may have a mental illness also. And uh, she didn't know that till then. And I thought that tenderness is something that Dipika does so well in that film. And I mean, yeah, objectively, if you look at it, I think Dipika was yeah. the better performer.
0: Yeah, I feel the same. Do you have any wish list for her to be directed by somebody, anybody whom she should work with? <clears throat> uh,
1: I just think she should do more films like, uh, you know, Piku and Geraya. Like, keep working with uh, directors like that who understand who she is and how she And I'd love for her to do the occasional pathan. She was she was great in it. And, and uh, she's a very convenient. I mean, she looked perfect in that film is one thing. Because we tend to think of a female spy in a certain way. But there is far more to her than just her physicality in that film. And um, I see a lot of people, you know, coming away with so many compliments about her in that film. And it's no coincidence. But yeah, as as long as she finds directors like Shujit Sarkar or, you know, uh, Shakun Batra. Or um, or for that matter, any uh, sort of new age director with sort of a certain idea of contemporary India. I'd be more than happy to see her roles because she's, with with actresses like her, the age doesn't matter, you know, the The sort of phase of their career doesn't matter. She's already created a sort of niche for herself that uh, that she can very well excel at. And even if she doesn't do the Bansali films again, I'd be more than, I'd be fine with that because, mm. you know, Bansali has a certain kind of vision that may not, may or may not, you know, Uh, sort of go with actresses that are maybe over 35 or over 40 unless they are older roles in that film and I I think Deepika doesn't need that right now I think she's such a pure actor and she's such a good understand understand of a moment of a scene that I think uh, she would do well in most roles she's given right now Right,
0: right there was this one film she was supposed to do with with Vishal Bhartwaj and Ifan Sapna Devi. But I think um, because of certain circumstances, it never worked out. But yeah, I hope she gets to, you know, she's very good in contemporary, uh, these very contemporary modern Indian uh, women sort of a role. Yeah. So I hope she continues to do that. Okay, now next, let's move to our next area. Uh, this is a little bit on animated films. Uh, and then, you know, I'll first talk about a film where you've written before and we've spoken before, but I'll ask, you know, there is inside out. There are five yeah. emotions in that. Okay. Who would you choose as your favorite? <laughs>
1: uh, sadness. <laughs> sadness okay. would be my favorite in that. Uh, I mean, not like, not for obvious reasons, but in general, I thought it was, first of all, an ingenious film, and it's just the way... Um, it's sort of voice, the way it's sort of um, the way it's sort of contextualized in terms of in context of joy, yeah, in context of the other four emotions. It's, it's I thought like that was by far my uh, favorite emotion, especially the the animated character who actually plays her to be dragged around and to be I don't know. I mean, I found it to be very resonant in in many ways because it's a very adult emotion, you know, It's an emotion that's sort of growing in a child that a child doesn't know what to do with. And I, I thought that was showcased so brilliantly in that film. And it's funny when you say animated films, the first film that comes to my mind is always Inside Out. Even though yeah. we grew up on cartoons.
0: Yeah. And what other films that come to your mind after Inside Out that, are, like, that you really like in this genre?
1: <clears throat> a bunch of, uh, pretty much all the Pixar films because that really changed my perception of animation, of cartoons, of of stories that should be told for children but that also can be for adults. I thought Finding Nemo was one of my early favorites. Uh, Toy Story, um, you know, Up. I'm a big fan of Up, as most people are. Um, a big fan of Wally as well. I love Wally. Um, um, I-, I think Pixar is just they've. I nobody to beat them in that genre. Um, Inside Out, of course, goes without saying. I really enjoyed the recent uh, Guillermo del Toro's uh, Pinocchio because you know. Uh, And he was right about the fact that, you know, animation is not only for children like this is sure it's a fable, sure it's a very famous children's story, but it's it's a very adult story at the same time and the medium cannot be pigeonholed as for a certain sort of uh, viewership. And I thought that was showcased very well in his Pinocchio. Um, um, I really thought it was a very it was a masterclass in sort of animated storytelling. And he really got the gist of that character um I'm sure there are far more that I haven't mentioned but but as i said you know they're, they're pretty much all whatever pixar's done till now and you know even though i haven't seen a lot of them uh, i really enjoyed soul as well like a couple of years ago maybe it was um and and also there was a there was a film i wrote about recently called intergalactic i wrote a column on it uh, and uh, that's nothing to do with pixar or anything in fact it was uh, reimagined it was sort of conceived as a, a sort of almost a publicity uh, video for a music album but it became a film of its own and did ve- and is on Netflix um, uh, about two black characters in New York City um, I thought that was fantastic very subversive and very modern contemporary love story uh, which is very rare because animation normally tells stories that we can't imagine in real life uh, always larger than life, always some kind of fable uh, uh, like tone to it, almost some kind of like, uh, uh, you know, it has to be innovative, but this was the sort of film you could almost imagine as a live action film, and yet it was animated, so um, so I found that very interesting, you know, and, and, and as far as the Indian short is concerned, Death of a Father, which I think we mentioned earlier as well, um, lovely film, I think it's available on YouTube, uh, beautiful short film, again, you know, it's it's very much a live action story, very much a um, very much a real uh, sort of uh, very lived in sort of environment. But but one of my uh, one of my sort of fascinations with the medium is why directors choose to make uh, very normal stories in you know an animated medium. Why do they choose animation then? And I I see that in Death of a Father and Intergalactic, and I find it very fascinating that why they choose to. Sort of make these characters look like make-believe characters, even though they are very real. They're doing very real-life things and feeling very real-life emotions, and that for me is also the beauty of the medium. There's also the documentary flea, which really broke ground as far as uh, animation is concerned. Imagine like seeing a documentary in an animated. uh, We we didn't think we'd see that day, but for me, that was uh, again a very uh, ingenious sort of um, um, you know way of using the medium.
0: Uh, have you seen Persepolis? Uh, it I have seen it, Persepolis. Okay, uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. it's been quite I, it, a long time. It, it's it been a mind. very
1: long time. Yeah. yeah, exactly. No, no, but also big fan of that kind of mm-hmm. animation. You know, like it really leaves a, an indelible impression on your mind. And yeah, that that's another very, uh, that's a great example of animated storytelling.
0: Yeah, because I that was one of the first. I haven't seen Toy Stories, and you know these okay. like. Uh, but this Persepolis, I saw very long ago, and I still you know remember about it because it was so nicely done, uh, yeah. that entire film, and you know I was looking at the Indian like even Hindi films. There is nothing good. Like, the only thing that came to my mind, you know, I was looking on Wikipedia and all, Roadside Romeo, Return of Hanuman, all these <laughs> films, you know. there's any, like you mentioned Death of a Father, I didn't, uh, like, I, I, it didn't even strike uh, to me. So, um, are there any other Indian films that you can recollect that do good animation and Indian doesn't do good animation?
1: No, like mainstream, Indian cinema is not interested in animation because they don't see business sense in it and too much effort for too little, not many people will watch it unless it's a children's film like, you know, uh, unless like they really conceive a cartoon that is animated they don't look at it as an adult storytelling medium and I don't think that's going to change anytime soon because the kind of technology we are we are using it in action cinema and VFX and all. we don't use it for but you know like there is, there is a lot happening in independent Indian cinema at yeah. the same time you know Getanjali Rao is a very famous uh, animator yeah. and she does a most of her films are definitely. Uh, you know, right up there in terms of the medium, in terms of, you know, world-class animated cinema. And she tells very Indian stories at the same time. So, you know, those were... But again, they do the festival rounds. Not a lot of people have seen her films. Within the circuit, she is, of course, very popular and deservedly so. And I think she's really, really talented. And she's done a great job of taking the medium to new heights in this country. But again, how many people know of her? And she, she um, she isn't a name that we associate immediately when we think of Indian animated cinema and I guess she's found a place you know in the world cinema in the world festival circuit and as she should because she's bigger than the Indian circuit and she's bigger than India itself and uh, I think I'd really recommend some of her films if people can hold off get hold of it
0: that was actually my next question how did you like Bombay Road?
1: <laughs> I quite liked it you know like I watched it after like I didn't watch it at the film festival like most people did but I watched it later, and and I very much enjoyed it, you know, I I saw what was happening, I saw the kind of symbolisms used, every thought, every shot was so thoughtfully sort of designed and composed, and even though, at times, it was a little too like, western, exoticized lens to look at India, it felt like, you know, it was almost catering to a western worldview, uh, like a lot of Indian filmmakers tend to, but I didn't think it was necessarily a bad thing in Bombay Rose, because of, first of all, because of the title, and secondly, because of the sort of Bombay, sort of India it was showcasing. It was very specific. It was about a very specific facet of this city, of this culture. And I thought it was a lovely little blend of the Western lens and uh, the sort of Eastern myth. And, uh, and you know, it, it, I, I was a big fan of the way she used animation, the way she designed it as well. It was more graphic novelist than actual animation, which I thought was very interesting.
0: Yeah. Uh, would you call Minai uh, Min- I always say it wrong. Min Min Minions as animation film. Uh, I would
1: call <laughs> Minions an animation film. Definitely, yeah. like uh, as I would, uh, you know, how I, w- which was it? How I Trained Your Dragon or um, Yeah Yeah Yeah, yeah, yeah that you. one. Yeah, I mean the the Minion series and and the entire sort of Despicable Me mm-hmm. again. You know, big fan of that as well and enjoyable on so many levels you know you don't necessarily go to have a serious time from animated films and those films i i very much enjoyed as well and um and yes those are animated films meant very much for the younger generation and they do a very good job of catering to them and you know when i say younger i count myself in it as well so
0: yeah yeah of course and i think that's why even the oscars they have now a separate category right for animation earlier it wasn't there uh from what i recollect only recently Okay. So we are nearing the hour mark and I have my last question for you today. So, you know, those of who have listened to the podcast, the picture of this podcast is the critic from the tattoo and an ego. <laughs> yeah. Why, oh, did <laughs> Why did you choose it? Why did he choose this picture?
1: <laughs> he, first of all, because you know, I mean, we we imagine ourselves to be I mean the perception of critics is Anton popularly, you know, snobbish sort of film people looking down on art most of their time until they really discover sense of art. But, you know, jokes apart, he's my favorite sort of art critic in film. You know, I know we've been seeing a lot of art critics in films in the last 10 years and filmmakers love to take digs at film critics. And at uh, uh, culture critics in general in their films, uh, but I thought Antonio was such an interesting character and so beautifully written and voiced in that film, in Ratatouille again. You know, I'm sorry I forgot to mention that film, but it's a film I keep watching again and again. Why not? Because of the the you know the rat's journey or anything. It's because of it's because of the critic in it, and it's because of that monologue that's become so famous uh, about criticism. And and I, and I thought it's it's fantastic because it was for me in my head it was modeled on Roger Ebert for uh, and for a lot of us he was one of the first critics we ever read and sort of grew up idolizing and wanting to write like him and uh, I thought Anton Ego was a wonderful example of how critics are actually humans and how they get emotional too as soon as he tastes that um, the Ratatouille that little childhood flashback that he has is my idea of what a critic should be they should be open enough to be honest about getting emotional about getting sentimental about things, and they should put themselves a little more out there. Uh, and and that transformation of Anton Ego from a conventional idea of a uh, art critic, which is this closed out person who writes uh, reviews in this dark uh, mansion like room, which is what pe- popular perception of critics, to this way to this softy, to this guy whose entire worldview of criticism and of art has changed through this one meal is what uh, every critic should be like. And that's why, you know, I always use this particular, um, you know, uh, this particular image for our podcast and for any podcast that in which film critics are talking. Uh, because it's a very, for me, that's the, um, it's a very idealistic sense of how film criticism should look like
0: absolutely and it's actually a perfect picture if you, you know to think about it because okay. just talking about and it's learning from different perspectives uh so yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, okay rahul so we spoke uh, about different topics today so uh, thanks everybody for listening and thanks rahul for sharing your insights uh, we will be back in a few weeks from now so uh, looking forward to more such discussions with rahul okay thanks everyone
1: thank you